Hi, welcome to the It's All About Relationships podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bird. This podcast is for people interested in making sustainable, qualitative relationships their objective. I want world peace, and I build world peace one world at a time, beginning with the relationship with self and extending outward to marriage and family, friends, community, and world. So if that's an objective you want to take up, come along. We are going to talk about lust, sexual lust. Does this have anything to do with relationships? Does it have anything to do with marriages, family funnels, sustainability? Of course, it's, it's a major component of these things, but I guess I feel like I'm coming at you from left field today because there's a few things that I'm minor directional shifts that I'm making in this podcast. One of them is that I am going to be um, speaking as if the bulk of my audience were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Part of that, is, the reason for that is because I'm intending to offer a service to this demographic, but also because my brain is full of thoughts about that religion and a lot of my preconditioned vernacular comes from that culture because I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and have been for many years and uh, grew up in that culture. So does that mean that if you are not a member of this church that you can't listen? No, of course not. It's just a matter of word choice to convey a meaning or teach a principle of relationships which are universal and have application to the whole entire human family in order to be easily heard I would need to repeat the same message in every language and culture, which perhaps one day I'll do, but to get started, I'm going to, you know, grow where you're planted. So I am starting with where I am and what I am, and I'll do my best to use a, a variety of words to convey the same meaning, because even within uh, a church of however many millions, there's many from different cultures and backgrounds and so there should be still plenty uh, for you to listen to if you are not presently a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm also going to be drawing from personal experience and answers I've got to my questions about my failures in relationship that are privately received and come from sources outside of my church. For example, the Tao, mentioning yin-yang. I've never heard the word yin or yang from the pulpit of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, except to swear in an officer from the other half of the world. And, you know, that was part of his name or something. And comparing the interplay between spirituality and sexuality I've not ever had a Sunday school lesson on that. So there's going to be plenty of content for both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and without, but I'm going to proceed and speak as if you are a member and are familiar with the vernacular. So that's the first directional shift that I'm making. The other reason I feel like I'm kind of coming at this episode uh, from left field is because I'm going to just dive right into a practical application of the grand design and do so using a crisscross pattern that I haven't yet diagrammed, a chiasm. The chiastic pattern found in so much literature is, is also the grand design. It is also an ABBA pattern. So where I've illustrated the grand design as a circle, when a character leaves marker point A, 
and goes clockwise around that circle in order to create a new measure of life, that same process can also be understood uh, with a crisscross pattern chiastically. And I'll illustrate that and, and talk more about it in a future video, just as I have with the uh, infinite loop, because there's, there's multiple visuals for understanding this thing that is existent in all creative interplay or all relationships. So I haven't done that yet, and I'm gonna sort of just teach you from that or using a little bit of that visual as if I had already covered that ground. But I, I think that you'll still be able to get a lot of helpful stuff without having that background. So this episode is an application of the grand design. I hope you enjoy it. We're gonna get straight to the heart of things in talking about human sexuality and lust, sexual lust. So first off, I wanna define lust. Lust is a spoil point on a continuum of getting needs met. Okay, so we all have sexual needs and in pursuit of getting those sexual needs met in a healthy way, there is a spoil point in that process that no longer serves us. And all behaviors from that spoil point on, I would call lust. To draw a comparison that is more obvious, it would be to compare the sexual appetite with the, the appetite for food. So all humans have the need of hunger. And in pursuit of or the employment of strategies for the meeting of the need of hunger, we eat food and it serves our body. But there are certain types of foods we could eat that would not serve our body. And then even among the types of foods that generally do serve our body, there is a spoil point along the process. If you think about this process with, you know, need being the starting point or the hunger, and then the strategies employed, it's like we're walking down this path, like on a hunt, looking for the resources that that need requires in order to create a new measure of life. And with physical hunger, we are walking along the path, you know, eating berries and sandwiches and sushi and all kinds of delicious things. And there are things that sort of lay outside the path that even eating them in the beginning of the process when you're very hungry are not useful or serviceable to the human body, things that are poisonous. But even among, even along the path, among things that are in the beginning of the process serviceable to the body, at some point become ins not serviceable to the human body. They actually begin to harm the body. And this would be the point that we would call overeating. This is a spoil point where if you eat more than is sufficient for the need, it turns on you. The serviceability of that act turns on you, even though the action is the same. So the action for meeting the need of hunger is to put food in your mouth. When you're hungry and you're eating food in the beginning, the body's like, yes, 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 this is good, good, good. This is helping. And then there's this point in time. So this actual point along a spectrum of time where the exact same action no longer serves you. And that point in time and everything afterward, if you continue with the action, I am defining as lust. So just to boil it down into a real concise sentence, lust is the point at which consumption of resources extends beyond the point of need sufficiency. So need you think of need like a cavity or a, a hole in the ground or a pit, a hunger, okay, a lack, an emptiness, and it's this big, you could measure it and get and, and identify the parameters, okay, I'm this hungry, right? So if I'm this hungry, then the resource this much hunger requires is 
this big. It's, it's equivalently, it's the same size, it's equivalently large. And so needs seek a resource that is customized to its fitting. And the consumption of resources beyond the point of customized fitting is lust. It's not only not necessary, but it's a spoil point. The consumption at that point turns on you. And where the identical behavior earlier served you, that same behavior beyond that point uh, is a disservice to you. So it is with sexual appetites. So it is with the consumption of sexual experiences. I want to draw that for you on a piece of paper that will be visible if you're viewing this podcast on YouTube. Okay, so lust. Drawing the definition. We have a need or a hunger and it goes out on a search. It, it reaches for it, pulls toward it the resources it requires in order to create a new measure of life. And at some point along that process or journey, the, when a need gets sufficient resources. And beyond the point of sufficiency, there is lust. Excess consumption of resource for any need, although the behavior remain the same, turns on us. It's a spoil point. It's the cutoff line. It's the point at which you are no longer benefiting from this course of action. Now, when it comes to sexual consumption, males and females have different processes. Generally speaking, and I will be addressing all of these comments to the, the bell curve, to the typical male and the typical female. Female, If you're an outlier, that know that and apply the principles accordingly. I'm just going to be teaching principles and outlining a pattern uh, about how we get down. And then the application to your personal life, I'll leave in your hands. <clears throat> but I'm, I want to address generally how the patterns are inverse reciprocals of one another because males and females are the incarnations of these two inverse reciprocal poles in the grand design, or at least the sexual functioning of males and females. The way male sex organs and female sex organs interplay to create a new measure of life, a new measure of human life, of a baby, um, they do so in an inverse reciprocal manner. Generally speaking, females get into sex through relationship. And generally speaking, males get into relationship through sex. So it would look like this. And again, I'll use blue for male and red because I don't have pink for female. So I'm just indicating with this visual how men generally will start with sex and then the relationship develops therefrom or out of that. And how the female develops a relationship and then gets into sex. And you can see this, uh, this moving down the page is the passage of time. So what I've drawn here is two columns and the left column is the female's ex experience or journey and the right column is, is the male's experience or journey. And moving down the column is the passage of time. And so in the left column, I've written relationship with an arrow moving down into the right column with an arrow pointing to sex. And in the right column, the column for male, at the top or the beginning of the process, I've written sex and then the arrow moves down into the left into the female column with an arrow pointing to the word relationship. So the processes, they start from opposite ends and then move toward and pass each other. And it's that point of overlap that's the point of satisfaction, lasting satisfaction where a 
where couples have both the relationship needs met as well as the sexual needs met. This definition of lust, okay, where need acquires sufficient resources to a certain point, and then there's a spoil point. This, this formula applies to both of these processes of relationship and sexual fulfillment in males and females. So there's a spoil point for each player, male and female, in their journey. But the spoil point is, is at a different place because the journeys are different. Okay, so if you think of the spoil point like a, a marker point along a trail, because females begin their trail, you know, at one place, relationship details, and then move towards sexual arousal and satisfaction, and males start their process at sexual arousal through visual stimulus, and then acquire the relationship details as they move down the journey. So if you're going to identify where lust is entering for a male or a female, you can't look at the same point on the path. And that's going to become more clear as we get into what those paths look like. So for the typical male, I think I'll start with that because it's more visible and we can all see it and it's very obvious. And I think the norm is to judge or assess, you know, when sexual needs are okay and when they're not okay according to the male pattern and process, which is so common in so many areas. Um, because the male half of the human is on, stands on the outside of the veil and the female half of the human stands on the inside of the veil. And so, you know, we can be seen. I mean, our genitalia are visible. We, we can look and see them, but we can't look at a naked female and see her ovaries and her vagina and all of the internal organs. They're all behind her skin. They're veiled. And so it's easy. It's understandable that we our, our knee-jerk response is to judge according to what is seen and therefore judge all humans by the male process as if that were a universal standard. So I'm hoping to shift some minds and, and pull some, some socks inside out and um, turn some thinking upside down here today. But we'll start with the one we all know, which is um, the male sexual response. So for the male, sexuality is a lot about images. Men are visually stimulated. The, the male sexual need is seeking beauty. The, the male sexual need dives into being. It's about forging ahead and discovering what is and being encompassed about and surrounded on all sides, baptized as it were in all that is around us. It's about unveiling and getting to know things as they really are. It's about the pleasure of discovery. And the lure for getting into that is imagery, right? It's about, for the man, it's about how she looks. I think some evidence for this is just how ubiquitous uh, visual pornography is. So images, videos of naked people, of sex acts. I mean, how big is that library now, that online library? And how many men are visiting that library a lot. I, th I think that's pretty good evidence for this idea that men are visually stimulated, that we are interested in beauty and the enticement for getting ourselves into that beauty and discovering all that that beauty holds is imagery and looks. Um, the image of a thing prompts us to get into the being of the thing and enjoy that. The female embodies the notion of being. It's just what she is that men like. Men like women as is, just for the fact of their creation. The shape of the female attracts the male. And it's just a repetitious, continual, pleasurable discovery of what is. 
That's the mechanics of male sexuality. Female sexuality is driven more by stories, okay? So instead of having a subscription to, well, what was once Playboy magazine, I don't know if they're still the icon for male lust, but the icon for female lust would be the romance novel. She reads the books, he thumbs through the magazines. For the female, her sexual need is seeking resources. She is the beauty, so she doesn't need that. That's what she is. She already personifies that. She's looking for abundance. She's looking for fruition. She's looking for that which will supply new life in ever-expanding progressive circles. At just a anatomical level, the female egg seeks the resource of male seed in order to create new life, that the life within the female might expand uh, in perpetuity. That's sort of the mechanics of, of female sexuality. She is drawn to doing and performance. Just to be transparent with what I'm doing here, all I'm doing is taking what I know as a male and I'm inverting it. It's, it's just mathematics, it's just a formula, and it seems to fit with everything, so I, I keep doing it. But that's, there's, there's no mystery here. This is, this is what's happening is it's just males and females are the inverse reciprocal incarnations of marker points A and B in the grand design, or at least their sexuality and the way it interplays. So females are drawn to doing and performance the way males are drawn to being and beauty. And where he is interested and drawn to how she looks, she is interested and drawn to how he acts. I've just outlined the male and female sexual journeys toward sexual and relationship fulfillment and how they begin and end at opposing inverted paths or continuums. And when we apply the definition of lust to their individual journeys, we can see that to assess who's lusting, we have to apply that formula of lust to the inverse reciprocating processes. So. For the female, there are a thousand points between a wife's stories and her sexual response. There's all of these many, many points along the way to the arousal of her sexual organs, and that's what it is. For the male, there are zero points between a man's visual stimulus and his sexual response. So for her, she, those thousand points are stories, right? It's a story that she writes about how he is with the kids. It's about how he helps around the house or doesn't help around the house. And these stories lead to the arousal of her sex organs. The, the arousal of the male sex organs is, there, there's not only no stories required, there's not even thoughts required between the visual stimulus and the sexual response. Uh, conversely, stories of hell and damnation and thoughts of rigid discipline are required between those moments to not embarrass himself with inopportune erections. It's the stories written onto his mind by his female partner that serve to transition sex for the male into a lasting relationship. These thousand stories of hers, which she requires to begin having a sexual experience, also lead the maturing male into relationship longevity. If the wife can honestly say that her husband's daily, seemingly unrelated behaviors contribute to her sexual arousal, then it must be honest to say that the unfaithful wife can be sexually aroused by the same mundane details.
these common story scrolls through the female mind, like the endless photo galleries of the male's computer screen. Stories about his doings, stories about how he's acting, serve either to draw her closer to one man or closer to many. You see what I'm saying? The system for assessing that is the same. The standard is the definition of lust applied to the process of sexual functioning. The gap between her story scroll and the arousal of her sex organs cannot be defended by the wife and dismissed by the whore where accountability exists, nor is the proper accounting to compare his and her gaps between stimulus and response as with apples to apples. Sexual lust is the spoil point on a continuum of human sexual response. Since male and female reproductive processes are inverted, an inverted analysis is required for a balanced accounting. I hope this helps. If you're a male whose masturbation and pornography or, or pornography use has been compared in likeness to the sexual response of your chosen female partner and labeled bad in comparison to hers, I hope that this episode helps you feel less shame about being made how you've been made. I hope it helps you understand more about how lust works for you and your female partners moving forward and helps you consent less to that false comparison, often designed to manipulate you by shame. If you are a female seeking more accountability in the employment of your sexual power, I hope I've opened up a field for you to explore. And I hope above all, my ultimate aim is that this chart assists those couples seeking to fully understand each other as you approach one another from opposing sexual processes. May you meet often with satisfaction in both the details of daily life and sexual encounter at that ever-present middle ground. That's my hope. Es wird doch alles wieder gut. Nur ein kleines bisschen Mut. I'm Justin Bird, wishing you the very best with your relationship sustainability.